following message is presented by First Baptist Church of Morgan City, Louisiana. For more information, go to the website www.fbcmc.org. Now the message. Galatians chapter 3. We set out on this study. I told you there were a lot of things that we could use uh, in our apologetics, our defense of the gospel, uh, sharing the good news, uh, especially with folks here in our community, uh, churches that uh, practice and teach tradition uh, over scripture's authority. Uh, there's many things you see in Galatians that uh, you can use uh, to start a gospel-centered conversation. Uh, the Apostle Paul, uh, first, uh, he establishes that there's only one gospel. Uh, he defends his call to apostleship. Uh, he makes a trip back to Jerusalem, uh, defending his apostleship, and then he confronts Peter uh, face-to-face over his hypocrisy. Uh, Steve Spurling covered last week, Galatians 2.20, um, talking about the the cross of Calvary. Uh, it's no longer I who live, but it's Christ who lives me and the power and the strength of Christ living through us. We move on into uh, this part to where the Apostle Paul is not just confronting uh, one person like he did Peter. The Apostle Paul is now confronting the entire church and he, he brings a series of rhetorical questions. There are actually four specific rhetorical questions. Two of them are connected to each other uh, when you look at all of them together. And also in this passage that we look at, chapter 3, verses 1 through 9, uh, he, he kind of hits on the matter of experience. Uh, what is it that they experienced that kind of threw them off of track in their faith? So verses 1 through probably about 4, uh, halfway through verse 5, he's talking about their experience and how they were leaning more towards their own personal experiences. And then he goes into the matter of Scripture. He says, here's how important it is to have what you believe and all of your faith established in what you see in the Scriptures. Then he goes all the way back to the book of Genesis and relays uh, Abraham's faith and how he believed in God. So it's broken down into what most people base their beliefs on, uh, experience or scripture. What is your belief based on right now? What is your faith established on? Is it established on only what you've experienced so far in your life? When you look at the biblical description, uh, definition of faith, what is faith? Faith is a substance of things hoped for. That, that is your belief and the evidence of things not seen. That is your faith. That is where your faith stems. Some of the things that we believe in, we haven't seen yet. We were talking about the incarnation this morning. We've never seen that. That's a word that's not even in the scriptures. That's okay. Neither is the word Trinity or the word rapture, but we still believe in those things. So the apostle Paul opens up uh, talking to the Galatians. And like I said, we've looked at a lot of things and what we're going to see from now to the end of Galatians is, is things that we can put in our uh, arsenal to use for apologetics when we are defending our beliefs. It also can be used to open up a gospel-centered conversation along the way. So several things that we notice uh, in this, faithful questions, uh, this string of rhetorical questions that the Apostle Paul issues uh, here in the beginning part of this passage. First one we see is the portrayal of the gospel, verse number one. He says, O foolish Galatians, 
Who has bewitched you as you should not obey the truth before whose eyes Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed among you as crucified? Rhetorical question number one. Who's fooled you? Who's tricked you? Who has persuaded you to not believe in something that we have clearly described to you in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ? So the way he starts off this rhetorical question, um, oh, foolish Galatians. Now, there are a lot of ways to begin a apologetic conversation <laughs> There are a lot of ways to begin a gospel-centered conversation. I wouldn't recommend this way of doing it. <laughs> you can if you want to, but, but don't let them know that I recommended it. Don't, don't blame it on me. Uh, you walk up to someone and say, oh, you foolish person, why are you living the life that you're living? That conversation, I would have to believe, is not going to go well. So why is Paul referring to, to them here as a foolish Galatians? Chapter 1, verse 11, uh, he actually refers to them as the brethren or brothers in Christ. Chapter 4, verse 19, he actually refers to them as his children, his spiritual children. And then once again in chapter 6, verse 1, he refers to them as brothers once again. He's making an emphasis here in the beginning of chapter 3 to capture the enormity of the issue at hand. Somehow or another, they have been tricked into believing something other than the true gospel. It's interesting to note here that Paul's companion throughout the book of Acts, uh, Luke himself, uh, in his gospel, Luke actually uses this own wording, this own phrase when he um writes about Jesus and talking to the two disciples on the road to Emmaus. Luke chapter 24, verse 25, on the road to Emmaus, before Jesus begins explaining to them what the scriptures had to say about the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, here's what Jesus says, and here's what Luke records in his gospels. He says, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe in all the scriptures, the things concerning himself. So writing style, wording, uh, the phrase, the emphasis that Luke is using here in Jesus' words, I think this is what Paul is reflecting as the importance of the issue at hand that the Galatians have slipped away from what they were supposed to be believing in. Who has bewitched you that you should not obey the truth? Has there ever been a time in your life when you've kind of faded away from what you believe in? Has there ever been a time in your life when you have kind of drifted away from the things that you've taught, been taught about the Christian faith? That's what the Apostle Paul is warning them here, and that's why he is so emphatic on getting their attention right here at the beginning of the verse. J.B. Phillips, in his commentary on Galatians, he says this. Here's another way that you could put it, and here's what Paul was trying to say. He says, oh, you dear Idiots of Galatia. <laughs> Surely you cannot be so idiotic. Paul is taken back. He says, look, we have clearly portrayed the gospel for you. We've painted it out. We've described it. And we've told you this is what your faith is built in. This is what, how have you so easily been persuaded to believe 
something else. Oh, you dear idiots of Galatia, surely you cannot be so idiotic. Oh, foolish Galatians, how would we say it here in the South? Well, just bless your little heart. <laughs> what in the world is going on with you? Snap out of it. This is not what we taught you. This is not what you should be believing. And the word bewitched here literally means someone has cast a spell over them to cause them to believe something else other than the gospel. In the original language, the Greek language, it means to practice black magic on or to deceive or delude. It is a picture of an illusionist with smoke and mirrors trying to uh, create an image of something else to distract someone away from what they really should be looking at and what they should be believing in. It actually means to hypnotize, to go into a trance, to fall into a state of uh, just not being aware of what's around you. Kind of like some of you did Thursday after you got through with your turkey and your ham and your cornbread dressing. You just kind of passed out and you wasn't worried at all about what was going on around you. <laughs> Me too. Paul's saying, here's what happened. Galatians, you have fallen asleep. Someone has deceived you. Someone has cast a spell over you and they have caused you to believe in something other than the gospel. Now, the, the contrast made here in the first rhetorical question compares their situation in light of what they have been taught. Paul says that it was before your very eyes that the gospel was portrayed. The word portrayed here is the Greek word prographo, which means to describe vividly or show clearly. It literally was placarded like a billboard for the Galatians. Paul said, we've spelled this out as clearly as we possibly could. We've taken our time to tell you the true gospel story. And here you have someone who has so easily twisted your faith and twisted your belief. So Paul is saying it's obvious that the only way you could have missed this is for someone to have cast a spell on you. My prayer for us, my, my prayer for this community, my prayer for the people that we share the gospel with is that the gospel will be presented in a way that it is undeniable and irresistible for all who hear. That it would be portrayed just like a billboard, plain and clear, Jesus died for you. And this is what you need to be focused on. The next thing we see in verses two through four, we all not only see the portrayal of the gospel, but we also see the problem of the flesh. Here's another contrast that the apostle Paul is creating here with his rhetorical questions. Verse two, he says, this only I want to learn from you. Did you receive the spirit by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? Are you so foolish having begun in the spirit? Are you now being made perfect by the flesh? Have you suffered so many things in vain? If indeed it was in vain. If you recall last week's passage, chapter 2, verse 21, uh, I mentioned this verse actually this morning. Uh, the Apostle Paul says, I do not set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness comes through the law, then Christ died in vain. So Paul is connecting these two chapters. Of course, they weren't written in 
verses and chapters, but he's connecting this section of his letter saying, I want you to know that you are justified by faith and faith only and any other thing that you believe in makes Jesus' death worthless, useless, and it wasn't necessary. And right here he's repeating the same thing in verse four. Have you suffered so many things in vain if indeed it was in vain? So this second rhetorical question, it deals with uh, the introduction of two specific contrasts here. He's contrasting the law versus the spirit. And then he's contrasting the spirit versus the flesh. So many times, uh, myself included, uh, we rely on our own strength instead of trusting in the Lord's strength. That's what the apostle Paul is pointing out here. He says, did you receive the spirit by the works of the law? Legalism, your, your own strength. Is that how you receive the Spirit? No, you receive the Spirit by faith. By believing the gospel for the first time and then by faith taking that step, saying, I want Jesus as my Lord and Savior and I want his Spirit to live inside of me. It is no longer I who live, but it is Christ who lives within me. His Holy Spirit lives within me. But so many times we rely on our own strength instead of trusting in his. What does that come through? That comes through experience. I know what I can do. I know where I want to go. I know what I'm capable of. But this matter of trusting in the Holy Spirit to supernaturally empower me and give me the strength to make it through this church, I'm not so sure about I haven't yet experienced that. Sometimes that comes through a lifelong service to the Lord and trusting in the Lord and walking the Lord. So many times we rely on our own strength, what we can do, what we're capable of, instead of trusting in the strength that the Holy Spirit brings. Greater is he who is in me than he who is in the world. If we believe that, if we're walking by faith, it should radically change who we are and what we do. And if we're taking God at his word, we're going to trust less in our flesh and our own capabilities and we're going to step out in faith and trust in what the Lord says in his word. Proverbs 3, 5 and 6, it all goes back to that. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not to your own understandings. Don't, don't trust in what your flesh is going to fail you every time. Lean not to your own understandings. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will direct your path. And if you truly believe that, you're going to lean less and less on your own capabilities and you're going to lean more and more on what the Lord can and will do through you. Let's talk about this contrast between the flesh versus the faith. The flesh versus faith and belief. Paul is setting up this contrast here. What is faith? Faith is not us doing the impossible Faith is believing in the one in whom all things are possible. Faith is seeing what most people see as an obstacle and trusting in God to help you overcome it. Faith doesn't say that I think I can. Faith boldly says I believe that my God can. And what I believe will generate something different and unique in my life. 
Paul is still talking about personal experiences here. He's talking about people who are operating through their fleshly abilities. He's making this comparison and contrast. He says, did you receive the spirit by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? He's saying, surely you're, you're not so foolish. Surely you can't believe that. Having begun in the spirit, are you now being made perfect by the flesh? A rhetorical question. No, you're not. Right now, you're not being perfected by your own flesh. You're being perfected by the Holy Spirit that lives within you. Faith does not say, I think I can. Faith boldly says, I believe that my God can and what I believe will generate action in my life. <clears throat> Philippians 4.13, a lot of people use that verse. A lot of people use that verse to say there's going to be things that I can do that God is going to give me the strength to do. Yeah, that, that's true. But a lot of times they'll use Philippians 4.13 and they'll take it out of context. Philippians 4.13, most people say that it means God can help me do anything. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Now, can you do all things through Christ who strengthens me? Does that mean he'll make you do things that are just uh, supernaturally impossible? Now, let's, let's give some examples of how people can take this out of context. You see a lot of sports figures using this on their t-shirts. Uh, Tim Tebow put his on, on his eye black. A lot of people think that they could just draw this, this super strength anytime that they want to. Now, I'm going to give you some good examples of how this is taken out of context and how you shouldn't rely on this to help you do all things in your life. Number one, you, you can't pay your bills without going to work. Yeah, God's going to help you. He's going to provide your every need, but he expects you to do something in order to make that happen as well. Here's another. You, you can't make an A-plus on an exam that you didn't study for. <laughs> You're not going to make a good grade on a turn paper that you turned in three weeks late. Yeah, God's going to help you, but he expects you to do something in those situations I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, but he wants you to put the effort that you can do in order for him to act on your behalf. When taken in context, Philippians 4.13 is talking about contentment. If you read the whole passage that it's in, Paul's saying, I've learned how to be abased. I've learned how to be abound. I've learned that in all things I should be content. And in all those things, I've learned this, that I can do all things through Christ who gives me the strength to accomplish those things. And the Apostle Paul is making this contrast here about what we can do, what we believe, how our belief and our faith are connected to accomplish the things that God wants us to accomplish in our life. But he's warning the Galatians here. He says that you have a problem with your flesh. You're trusting in your flesh entirely too much. You see, the problem with the flesh is this. It's corrupt, and it will fail each and every time. Remember what Jesus told his disciples when he found them sleeping in the garden? He had left them to pray. He said, look, I want you to pray. 
stay here and pray. And he came back and they were sound asleep. He said, ah, he said, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Paul saying, did you receive the spirit by the works of the law? He's talking specifically about legalism or what your flesh can accomplish. Or he says, or did you receive the spirit by hearing of faith? Paul also writes in the book of Romans that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So he's making this transition from personal experience to relying on the scriptures. So here's another problem with the flesh. Most of the time, the problem with the flesh is this. It only hears what it wants to hear, not necessarily what it needs to hear. Sometimes we'll read through the scriptures and we'll draw out of passages like Philippians 4.13. Ah, I need some strength. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. My flesh holds on to that. It thinks that it's going to give me supernatural power, but that's simply... Not the case. Our our flesh has eyes of its own. And it sees things that we only want to see instead of seeing the things that we need to see. The problem with the flesh is that it hears only what it wants to hear. Not what it needs to hear. That's the purpose of all of these rhetorical questions that the Apostle Paul is presenting in this passage. Paul doesn't want to give them the clear answers. Paul doesn't want to give them the obvious answers. But he wants them to consider how fleshly they have become. And he wants them to see just how ridiculous it is that they've fallen so far and so fast. Not only do we see the portrayal of the gospel, not only do we see the problem of the flesh, but we also see the paralleling of faith. He goes from making contrasts between the spirit and the flesh and the flesh and faith and belief. He goes to paralleling the faith of the Gentiles along with the faith of the greatest patriarch basically in the Old Testament, Abraham, he goes all the way back to the book of Genesis. He's saying the faith that the Gentiles are now experiencing because they now have the gospel is equivalent to the faith that Abraham had in the Old Testament. So enter into the conversation, the father of all faith, Abraham. Paul asked the fourth and final rhetorical question, And he links everything here to the belief of Abraham. And in verse 6, we see the word believe come out. And everything in this passage kind of hinges on this one word. We talked about looking at key words in passages and scriptures that you read this morning. This is one of the key words in this entire passage that the Apostle Paul uses. This whole conversation now hinges on this word Belief, Beginning in verse 5, he says, Therefore, he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you, does he do it by the works of the law or by hearing of faith? Just as Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness, therefore know that only those who are of 
faith are sons of Abraham. What do you believe right now? And what is your belief based upon? That's the challenge that the Apostle Paul is making to the church at Galatia. He said, are you believing more in legalism? Or are you believing in the power of the Holy Spirit? Then he connects it to faith and believing. And he's saying, just as Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness. What you believe. How important is it to your faith for you to respond to what you actually believe in? How does what we believe in impact what we say, what we think, what we do, and how we treat other people? What you believe, he says, just as Abraham believed God. Abraham's in the hall of faith. He's one of the first ones that we see. Hebrews eleven eight talks about Abraham and how he believed God. And what Abraham believed about God caused him to go out to a foreign land, leave his home, live in tents. What he believed in God actually brought, uh, caused him to bring his son Isaac up to the mountain and lay him down as an offering. He believed that God would either raise up another son like him or he would do something to provide a replacement, which is exactly what the Lord did. You see, what you believe, just like Abraham, what you believe is going to cause you to react and respond in ways that you never dreamed of. And the spirit living inside of you is going to help your belief grow more and more each and every day. But if you say that you believe that it is no longer I who lives, but Christ who lives within me, What's stopping you from sharing your faith with someone else? What's stopping you with taking that first step in the area that the Lord's leading you in? Maybe something you've been hesitating to do. What you believe is going to cause you to take measures in your life and respond to what God is asking you to do. So that's like this morning. There's a chance of rain in the forecast. Anytime there's rain in the forecast, I'll check my phone app. I'll see what they say. And you know how reliable those weather forecasts are, don't you? (laughs) If there's a 30 or 40% chance of rain, guess what? If I really believe that, I'm going to take action. I'm going to have an umbrella with me. I'm going to leave the house a little bit earlier and give myself time because I know the roads are going to be wet. If I really believe that it's going to rain, There are going to be some things that cause a reaction to how I operate for the rest of the day. If I really believe that it's going to rain, I'm going to leave the house earlier. I might wear different clothing. I might carry an umbrella, a slicker suit. Monday night when we were in Alexandria, there was rain in the forecast. Uh, we were sitting there raising canes, eating. We could see it off in the distance. We could see the lightning flashing. Boy, everybody was getting these alerts on their phones. It really had us believing that something bad, something major was about to take place in the weather. Tornado warnings and watches started popping up. Hey, what, what am I going to do if a tornado? This We're in an area right now that, that is prone to tornadic activity. 
This looks like I could see the radar. I could see it coming. I could see the little front coming through. So I said, you know what? We need to get there just a little bit earlier to make sure everybody gets in before the rain gets here. It caused us to do something because we really believed all of the evidence was there and it was clear that something was about to happen. That's the same way with your faith. If you really believe that God is who he says he is, if you really believe that God has a future for your life, if you really believe that God answers prayers and responds to our prayers, you're going to pray more. Jesus had a lot to say about belief and how it connected to the life of his apostles. John chapter 14, if you want to turn there. This is one verse that I always go to. When my belief is at a low, when my faith is at a low, Here's what Jesus had to say about belief and what we believe making a difference in our life. John chapter 14, verse 12. Most assuredly, he even puts emphasis on this. Most assuredly, I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also. And greater works than these he will do because I go to my Father. Here's a connection to the Holy Spirit that he's talking about. He said, I, I can't send the comforter. I can't send the helper unless I go to my Father. And whatever you ask in my name, that I will do. That the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. Church, do you believe that? Do you really believe that with all of your faith, with all your heart, with all your soul? Now you say, how, how can I do greater things than Jesus did? He's just saying that you're going to have more of an opportunity. He, he had three years of earthly ministry. Most of us are going to have a lot longer than that here on this earth to accomplish things for the Lord. And Jesus says, if you believe in me, I'm going to help you to do these things. And I'm going to help you to do even more things than I was able to do because you're going to have a lot longer on this earth to accomplish them. So here Paul is paralleling the faith of the Gentiles along with the faith of Abraham. And he says, just as Abraham believed God. The point made by Paul here is that Abraham was a believer long before the law came into existence, long before even the circumcision that he talked about as a sign. Uh, we, we talked about that debate earlier in chapter 2. That was a big, big issue here in the church at Galatia. But the apostle Paul is saying that Abraham was a believer long before all of these things came into existence. That's why Abraham is known as the father of our faith. That's why he's included in the hall of faith. And he's saying now you as Gentiles, the same faith that was offered to Abraham is offered to you as well. Man, there's a, a children's song that goes along with that. It's got so much theological depth to it. Father Abraham had many sons. Many sons had father Abraham. I'm one of them, and so are you, and so are the Gentiles, is what the Apostle Paul 
is saying here. Paul is saying here that because of faith and belief, the Gentiles' faith parallels Abraham's faith because of Jesus' redemptive work on Calvary that was portrayed for all the world to see. He's saying apart from the law, apart from flesh, and because of your faith and your belief, your faith is now equivalent to the blessings and the grace and the mercy that God showed to Abraham way back in the book of Genesis. In the book of Colossians, Paul tells us exactly what Jesus did on the cross of Calvary concerning the law. Colossians chapter 2, beginning in verse 14, says that he's wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against us, which was contrary to us. He's talking about the law here. And he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. Having disarmed principalities and powers, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them. He has removed all of those things that were completely against us, the law, the flesh, any obstacle in your way. He says not only did he remove them, but he made a spectacle of them. He has cleared the way for you to walk by faith, to establish your life on what you believe in because the gospel of Jesus Christ has been portrayed before your very eyes. The portrayal of the gospel, the problem of the flesh, the paralleling of faith. And then he moves into the part where he is really, really focused on the power of the scriptures. Point number four, verses seven through eight, the power of the scriptures. Just as Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness, verse seven, therefore know that only those who are of faith or sons of Abraham. And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith. And this next phrase I, I find to be very, very fascinating. He preached the gospel to Abraham beforehand saying, in you all the nations shall be blessed. How awesome is that? That even back in the book of Genesis, God was relaying the message of the gospel to this patriarch, Abraham. You say, well, how did he relay the message of the gospel to Abraham back in the Old Testament? Jesus wasn't born. The tribe that Jesus would come from, it wasn't even in existence. How in the world did God portray the gospel and preach it to Abraham back in the book of Genesis? The whole story of Abraham and Isaac going up on Mount Moriah, that is preaching the gospel right there. Abraham has taken his one and only son up on a hill to give him as an offering and a sacrifice. And there God provides a substitute. Jehovah Jireh was the place that Abraham named that. God will provide and folks, that's the gospel in a nutshell right there, is that God has provided everything for mankind to be redeemed from their sins. 
And that's the power of the scriptures is seeing that foreshadowed in the book of Genesis. Something that would take place a thousand years later or more. The power of the scriptures. D.L. Moody had this to say about the power of the scriptures impacting what we believe. He says this, and I quote, he says, Man lost life by unbelief, by not believing God's word. And we get it back again by believing, by taking God at his word. See, that's what true faith and true belief is, is that when you see something that is a promise in the word of God, and you take God at his word, and you live your life, you act and respond to it, Because that's exactly what Abraham did in the book of Genesis. He didn't have the written word. God spoke to Abraham, and Abraham said, yes, sir, that's exactly what I'm going to do. And he believed that God would either protect his son Isaac or he would give him another son. And that created in Abraham an obedience and a faith. So Paul here nails down the issues and hopes to remove the confusion in the Galatians church by pointing to the scriptures. He goes all the way back to Genesis in his quote, it was accounted to him for righteousness. And this unusual statement here is that Paul says that the gospel was preached to Abraham beforehand. That's the power of the scriptures right there. The last thing we see in verse 9 is the provisional promises. The provisional promises. What did God provide? What was the promises? What did God promise to provide? Grace and blessings. The same thing that he promised to Abraham. I'm going to make you a nation so large, as many as the stars in the sky are in multitude and the sands by the seashore Innumerable. Verse 9. So then those who are of faith are blessed with believing Abraham. You see how he's making that connection between faith and believing? But the two provisional promises that he makes here in this last verse are the promises of grace, which he poured out upon Abraham, and he poured out upon the Gentiles, and he has poured out upon us. But he also says that you're going to have blessings that go along with your faith and with your belief. So here Paul's saying that the Gentiles are allowed the same amount of grace experienced by others and by Abraham specifically. So all who put their faith in Christ now share the same blessing that Abraham received because of his faith. Back up in verse 6 to reemphasize, he says, Just as Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness, so then those who are of faith are blessed with believing Abraham. Here's my question to you tonight, the challenge that I want to leave you with. What are you believing right now? But what are you believing that God wants to do in your life, right here in this moment. What are you putting your faith in? Are you putting your faith in your own abilities? Are you putting your faith in what God can do through you? 
Have you been hypnotized or distracted by the world around you and your circumstances like the church at Galatia? Or are you focused or do you have laser-like focus on the path that God has set before you? Are you walking by faith? Are you really living your life responding to those things that you claim that you believe in? So Paul's rhetorical questions here, uh, they were meant to challenge and to encourage at the same time. So how does that apply to your apologetic effort? How does that apply to your witnessing? How does that apply to you going out and sharing the gospel? Are you asking people, are you asking other people in this area, what do you believe in? What are you putting your faith and your trust in? I'll tell you what, you ask that question, you get all kind of answers out here. Are you giving people evidence that what you say and the life that you live and what you believe in is genuine? That's what people are looking for these days. They're looking for something that they can really, really put their faith and their hope and their trust in. They're looking for something that is real. They're, they're so tired of fake things in this world today. They're looking for someone who is strong in the faith. They're looking for someone who is bold in what they believe in. Charles Ryrie had this to say about faith and belief. He says, faith is not generated by a kind of repetitious self-hypnosis. Rather, it is strengthened through a knowledge of the one in whom it is placed. And that kind of knowledge comes through studying God's word and through experience with him as we go through life. Don't be like the foolish Galatians. Don't be blinded by the things of this world. Don't let this world and all of its uh, glitter and glamour cast a spell over you and distract you from the truth of the gospel and prevent you from living out the true life of faith that God has planned for you. Heavenly Father, we come before you tonight just thanking you so much for your love and your mercy and your grace. We thank you for the gospel, Lord. We thank you that you have entrusted us with the message of the good news of Jesus Christ. Lord, all of our hope is in you. And as you've shown me, Lord God, here recently, it's not in my own abilities. It's not in my intellect. It's not in my capabilities, Lord God, but it's only in my belief, in my faith in you that what you want me to accomplish will be accomplished. And Lord, as I think of those words that Jesus said, greater things than these we will accomplish, Lord God. That's what we want to see happen here. So help us, Lord God, to be bold in our faith. Help us to be strong in our beliefs, Lord God. Help us to respond to those things that we say that we believe in. And I just pray, Lord God, that your hand would guide us to greater things than we've ever seen before in our lives. Lord, help us with our 
apologetic conversations or witnessing, Lord God, help us to be uh, wise as serpents and gentle as doves. To just trust in you, Lord God, to give us the words to say in those conversations. To lean not to our own understanding, Lord God. Lord, even that doesn't give us an excuse not to prepare ourselves and to be ready, Lord. Lord, if I truly believe that the gospel is what sets men free, then Lord, I'm going to make every effort to go out and share the good news with someone. So Lord, we're looking for a harvest of souls. We just thank you, Lord God, for what you've done this morning, Lord God, the addition to your kingdom and the addition to our family here at First Baptist Church. Lord, we don't want you to stop. We want to see more of that. So prepare the way before us, Lord God. Help us to keep our eyes on you and help us to avoid the distractions of this world. Lord, I, I truly believe that our spirit is willing. Help our flesh to be willing as well. To stand firm on your scriptures. To be on our knees constantly in prayer, Lord God. Seeking your will in every way. We thank you, Lord God, in advance for what you're going to do. We thank you for what we've heard. And I just pray that this message, Lord God, would impact our lives and all that we say and all that we do. We just ask it in your precious and holy name we pray. Amen. The preceding message was presented by First Baptist Church in Morgan City, Louisiana. For more information about a relationship with Jesus Christ or about First Baptist Church, including contact info, go to the website www.fbcmc.org. Thank you for listening, and may God bless you.